I tell you, I'm kind of fired up. I'm going to try to, you know, this a lot of things I'm going to say are going to shock you. And I think it might, it may not for some of you, uh, but I feel like I want to, I want to challenge us today. In fact, I think about my wife and I think about this. My wife told me the truth. And that's the only reason I found Christ. She wasn't afraid of telling me the truth. But see, 40 years ago, things were different. Uh, when I went to elementary school, believe it or not, they would stop at lunch, ring the bell in a public school and pray over the food. I mean, it was, they just, God and this whole idea of God and God's standards were, were integrated into the public school system. And, and, and so now I'm going to do a survey and I kind of know the answer. If, how many of you went to public, uh, school, high school, junior high, raise your hand. Okay. How many of you went to uh, a college, a public college? Raise your hand. We need to pray for you. It is, it is worse than you think. Okay. Cause here's what I'm going to, I'm going to read something to you. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the definition of an indoctrination indoctrination. It means this, the process of teaching a person or a group to accept a set of beliefs without rebuttal or challenge. And that's what many of you have experienced in your school. This is what you need to believe. Don't challenge it. Don't criticize it. This is it. This is the true. This is the way it is. And, And many of you have experienced that, especially at the at the college level of uh, this indoctrination that it's gone on. And, uh, and anyone know how you boil a frog? Yeah, you don't put it in hot boiling water. You put it in nice cold water, you start swimming around, then you slowly turn up the heat. And eventually it's boiled alive. What does it have to do with indoctrination? Everything. Because I think, uh, there's been a systematic plan to mess with your mind and your brain. The reason I'll say that, I'll just throw out one, um, evolution. How many of you are taught that evolution is just, it's true. Everything, it's millions and millions of years. My uncle was an ape. I mean, we, this is what we're taught and repeated. You go to Bush Gardens, it's millions, it's, it's a repetitive set of beliefs that indoctrinates people. How many of you have ever heard uh, of the fatal flaws of evolution. Probably very few of you, because that's not what you're taught. That's not what they've been told in your school. You've been told that evolution is a science. Did you know that it's not even a science? But you've been told that. There are so many things we are told about certain subjects, but when you are indoctrinated and you are told over and over and over, and then if you're, if you're afraid of being criticized, you go with the flow of that, and it just becomes an accepted belief without rebuttal or criticism. Now, I would challenge, how many of you in, in school right now, university? If you're ever in a class and they start talking about this, I double dog dare you to stand up and say, I don't believe in evolution, but you better have some answers for them. To do that, you'll stir up the class, they'll laugh at you or something, but, but if you have uh, the facts, uh, see, there, it's either a truth or a lie. In fact, I'll give you just, just this free, this is not what I'm talking about, but one of the biggest fatal flaws of evolution is they believe in uh, 
what they call, uh, I'm going to read it to you. They believe in macro evolution, which means a dog can become, a snake becomes a dog. But we all see micro evolution. Micro evolution is there are different types of dogs that would breed and it becomes a different type of dog, but it's still a dog. It never changes. It's been a dog. It'll always be a dog. It's been a bird. It'll always be a bird. And that is microevolution, and, and, and we can see that. But macro, the problem of macroevolution, if something was a tadpole that crawled up out of the water and it became a crawling creature, and that crawling creature eventually became something that had four legs and eventually stood up and became a man, the problem with that, did you know that you ask any evolutionist, this is just free, okay? Show me transitional fossils. A transitional fossil is basically the transition from one species to another. They have none. There is zero evidence of any transitional fossils, but they don't tell you that. In fact, some of you are struggling with what I'm saying right now because you have been indoctrinated to think one way without criticism or rebuttal. And so that's what I'm going to talk about just for the next few moments. I want to talk about fighting and standing for and believing in truth. But we got to talk about what truth is because even that uh, is different. Let me just read one scripture to you in 2 Timothy. This is what the Bible says in these in some of these last days that we are in. And here's what it says. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itchy ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But it says here, and I think he's talking to us, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Now here's what a definition of truth is in the world you live in and what you've been indoctrinated into. You have heard this in so many words in the last 12 to 15 years of your education. Here it is. Nothing can be known for certain except the things you experience in life. That's that's told. uh, Nothing can be absolute. You don't really, there is no real absolute truth. That's what we hear over and over again. Here's another one. When it comes to When it comes to matter of morals and ethics, truth means different things to different people. No one can be sure that they have the truth. This is this is what is taught day in and day out in our lives. Here's another one. What is right for one person in a given situation might not be right for another person who encounters the same situation. Basically, there are certain rules that apply and certain ones that don't. What might be okay for you is not okay for me. But for instance, if we really believe that way, and, and, and we could talk about the, the three types of truth. Let me find it for you because I, I lost my spot. There it is. There's situational truth. There's cultural truth. And, and those are the two things you deal with. And situational truth is, is kind of like uh, the idea of that, you know, what if I think it's okay for me to be in the Philippines and to marry a 10 year old girl. See that, that's what's, what's okay for me may not be okay for you, but it's okay for me. Now, let me go a little further with this. I'm going to give you God's definition of, of truth. Here it is. Uh, God's truth. It is objective. 
It exists independently of what you think. Here's another part of it. it God's truth is universal. It applies to all people everywhere. It's not, well, that's good. That's good for you, little Christian person over here. Uh, that's good if you want to follow the ways of Jesus, but that really doesn't apply to me over here. Okay, it applies to all people everywhere. Here's another one, God's truth. It, it must be, it is constant. It does not change with time or culture. It is unchanging. And so we got these two kind of definitions of truth. One, it's situational. In fact, that changes for sometimes you. We can believe something that's true until that situation gets close to us. And all of a sudden, we start rationalizing our situation because all of a sudden, I'm confronted with something and I, maybe I know the truth of God, but, but there's something that's tempting me. And in fact, that'll be one of your, one of your questions. Let me, let me give you a couple of verses. And in fact, let's grab that mic, Hal. And, and would someone do me a favor? Um, look up, you have your phone Bibles out, right? Look up Romans, uh, one. I think it starts in verse 16, 17. It says, man is without excuse. Whenever you find that one, and it says they exchange the truth of God for a lie, would someone, um, if you, when you find that, wave it how, and he'll give it, he'll give it to you. Let me read a verse while you're finding that. Deuteronomy says this, he is the rock, his deeds are perfect, everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? That's one uh, scripture. Here's another one. Uh, someone got it. Read that for me real quick. Thank you. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Okay, go skip a little further where it gets into exchanging the, uh, it says man is without excuse. Mm -hmm. Keep going, you'll find it. Romans chapter 1, a little further down. Is it 18, verse 18? 18. 20, verse 20? Yeah, 20. There it is. Let me see. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And then he goes on and says what? Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. All right. There's another version that says he exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It's okay. That's this one. Here's another one. Uh, someone look up Psalms 119.89. I just want to... Give this to you. Psalms 118, 119, verse 89. Just want to get this scripture out. Right. Here we go, back there. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. There it is. God's word is eternal. So here's where, here's where I want to go with this for the next few moments. Was that a great voice or what? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. So here, here's the deal. Here's the deal about our lives. And this is where, uh, you gotta, you, for me, for, for, for you, and I'm not sure where all of us are at, but I'm going to tell you something. Uh, the holding on to the eternal truth of God is a real challenge for this culture. Because you've been, uh, I believe, in many ways indoctrinated to, to, to not believe in the core truths of the Word of God. But here's why I know truth matters. It determines, it really determines, first of all, who you are. 
It's the blueprint, the identity of who you are. And what is one of the biggest issues we have right now in our society? It's the whole gender issue. But see, God gave a blueprint from the very beginning, but when we get away from that blueprint, we can walk in confusion. Okay, now now truth, if truth is constant and never changes as we just heard, uh, it's like the constellation and the stars. The early navigators, when they were on a ship at sea, the only way they knew north from south or their direction, they trusted the stars because the, star, the stars were in heaven and they never moved, they never changed. And so they could navigate uh, the waters because of the, the the constellation. They could look at the stars and they know they didn't have GPS. They couldn't do that. They didn't have ways. They couldn't do any of that. They they but they looked at the stars and they knew that that never changes. The stars never change. They were north and then they invented the compass based on the magnetic fields and they knew that north would always always be north. North never changes. North will stay north. Forever. It's firmly established that it's north. South is south. East is east. West is west. There's a firm uh, belief that this doesn't change. That's eternal truth. That's universal truth. That's God's truth. But we live, listen, you live in a culture today that challenges every bit of that. They tell you it isn't universal. Truth changes. Culture now redefines truth. They, they do. They redefine everything. They redefine gender, they redefine marriage, they redefine uh, just so many different things. And it's so, uh, for you and for me, we've got to make a decision, and, and this is where this piece I gave you, I'm not sure we may get through it in a minute. Can I trust the Bible as God's true? You would go, of course, Craig, we're Christians. Gallup poll said 50% of Christians are not sure God's word's inspired. They don't know if I can truly trust and follow the Word of God. Is it inspired? Was it a book made by man? Or is it something I can trust and believe in? Is it is it true north? Is it really true? Is it eternal? Is it God's inspired Word? God claims that it is. But we have an assault on truth, an assault on the Word of God like never before. People are mocked for even believing the Bible. In fact, if you believe in the Bible, you're considered less of an intellect. I mean, there's so many things that are against you in this area, but you've got to make a decision because truth matters. It determines who you are. It it determines your whole view. It determines your view about marriage, about relationships, about problems, about evil, about eternity. I mean, truth matters so much. Whatever you decide to believe about truth will literally direct your life and you will make decisions and judgments based on the truth that you believe. But the, there's a challenge out there today about what truth is, and, and you're going to have to determine. Uh, and, and again, it, you, be, you would think that if I'm talking to Christians, I wouldn't have to have this message. But the reason I'm bringing this to you is because for some of us, I'm getting 30 minutes with you, and you've been lied to for 12, 15 years. Slowly eroding away at what we think is true. How many of you know we, we have a lot of young people, they, they leave high school, they're in a, the youth ministry, they go away to college, and they come back an atheist. How do you think that happens? Number one, the church maybe hasn't good, done a good job of teaching them the foundational truths because when they go away and they're challenged, they don't have an answer. That's why I'm telling you, some of these hot topics, there is so much good stuff out there that you can arm yourself with. You know, whether it's evolution or anything, it's the Word of God. 
when you arm yourself with it, and not that you're going to get in arguments with people, but you got to know what you believe. I mean, because if you don't, and you if you start, if you don't know what you believe, you'll be one of these ships, and you're 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 not even you don't even know how to navigate anymore, because it's no longer north; it may be south. I'm not sure which way. Um, because your truth keeps moving. You know, culture redefines truth every 20, 30 years. What was true 20 years ago is not true today. And what is true today will not be true in 20 years because their truth shifts based on culture, based on popularity. That's how it works. And we can get sucked into that. You know, but God, (coughs) excuse me, God's called us to be a shining light. He's called us to be truth bearers. God's called us, in fact, Ephesians 6 says that we're in a battle against Satan. And the first thing he says is that we need to put on the full armor of God. And the very first thing he says is put on the belt of truth. Because the belt of truth holds all the other equipment. You know? And I can't make you dive into truth. And I'm glad we have that. I know how. He's a great teacher of the word. And you need to soak up every bit of it. You need more than Tuesday night exchange. Man, you need to be digging in more than ever with a tough question. God can handle your tough questions. Ask the tough questions. Why is there suffering? Why? What's going Ask. Listen, God has an answer. God's word answers so much. But but I, I think that there's a, oh, how can I, I don't want to say it in a mean way, illiteracy in, in Christians. They don't understand the blueprint, God's word, the answers that are from Genesis to Revelation. You know, and, and so, but it determines all these things. I mean, everything that you make a decision in in your future is based on what you believe now. You know, and I tell you, the world doesn't have a great view of marriage or love or relationships. They really don't. So I just, I just, that's so important. So let's go into a little bit of, of your, uh, just a little bit of evidence if I can. Go ahead and pull out this little sheet just for a moment. This is just a little sample. There is so much material out there that you can dig into now. You know, if you've wondered about, can I trust the Bible? Is it reliable? How do I know? And it's more than, well, my pastor said it's reliable. No, dig into it for yourself. There's a lot of great material out there, but the uniqueness of the Bible and and how, uh, give you a couple things that I think will hopefully uh, help you to be Trust that the Bible is reliable, real quick. Number one, uh, in, in a little, you'll see it. Second, uh, in, in Second Timothy 3.16, it says this. All scripture, now this is the word of God, is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. Now the Bible claims to be inspired, but how do we know it's inspired? Well, there's three tests you can make. There's three, uh, there's a historicity test that Josh McDowell did, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But one of the greatest tests is the advanced scientific knowledge. The Bible gives us scientific knowledge that the world didn't discover for thousands of years. For instance, for a long time, a lot of people thought the world was flat, you know, the whole flat world theory. But if you read the Bible in Psalms, it says this, and excuse me, Isaiah he sits enthroned above the, everyone say it, what? Circle of the earth, there it is. The world's round, always been round. So when man discovered the earth was not round, was not flat but round, God's like, duh. 
You know, there are so many, uh, they, they understood, they didn't know that there were paths in the sea, that, that, that within the, the Gulf Stream is one of the paths of the sea. There are so many uh, things in the Word of God, like examples like that, where God confirms um, a lot of the cycle, evaporation, how does it rain? Job talks about the process of how rain actually, I mean, there's so many things that are confirmed scientifically. The Bible and science are not at odds. They're just not. But you've been told that because you've been told it's millions and millions and millions and millions of years. And there's a whole nother piece I can go into on that, but we don't have time. Here's the other one, the historicity test about reliability. Now, here's, I mean, excuse me, historical reliability. There are 24,000 archaeological discoveries that confirms the historical accuracy of the Bible. That means that when they do digging and they've dug all over Israel, I've been to Israel in different places, when they dig and they discover and they find these coins and it says, oh, that is the Hittite nation and whatever, something B.C., that every archaeological discovery confirms what the Bible wrote about history in the Old Testament. There's not been one contradiction, not one. Now, they tried to find contradictions like the Hittite nation. They mocked Christians for years and years because there was no uh, digs that had a nation called Hitt the Hittites. They're, the Bible's crazy. They're talking about this Hittite nation. They've never existed. We've never found anything. And guess what? I think it was in 1943 they discovered the Hittite nation. And there's example after example after example after example of the historical reliability of the Bible. And that proves that, hey, that, that's one proof that it's inspirational to be that accurate and never have one contradiction. It, 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 has a, it gives a lot of proof about that we can trust not only the historical reliability of the Bible, but how about the inspirational part of the Bible? Anyone know, uh, the, 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 well, we know what prophecy is, but there's the messianic prophecies. And I think there's over a hundred messianic prophecies about Jesus. Every one of them have been fulfilled. And these prophecies were made hundreds and some a thousand years before Christ came on the earth. And I'll give you some of the very specific ones that were said and then were fulfilled a hundred years later. You can see some of these. It predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem, in Micah 5.2, there it is. And we see in Luke 2, which is hundreds of years later, guess where Jesus was born? In Bethlehem. It was a miracle too, wasn't it? Because where was he? He was from Nazareth, his family, and they were going to pay their taxes. And we all know that there was no room at the end, but he was born in Bethlehem. Here's another one. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. How specific is that? I'm not talking about some general prophecy. You know, I think it might rain tomorrow and it rains like I'm a prophet. No, I'm not talking about that. Very specific things that were said and predicted that were fulfilled hundreds of years later. And I'm just giving you an example of a few of them. Zechariah, and then in Matthew it's fulfilled. Condemned by criminals in Isaiah 53, 12. And then the prophecy is fulfilled. He hung between two criminals. Some people say one was an attorney, one was a doctor. I don't know. It's a joke. Okay, mine didn't work either. Okay, there we go. He was crucified. Crucifixion wasn't even a form of execution when Psalms was written. Wasn't even a, and it was prophetic that he was going to be crucified in Psalms 22. And then we see it fulfilled 
in John 19.18. So we see these, these, these are not coincidences. This is proof in my mind, in my heart, I can trust that the Bible is reliable. It's reliable historically. It's reliable from an inspiration from God. It was God-breathed. Here's a few more, just so you have, because we have all the other books of antiquity that people believe in. No one ever challenges the book of Homer. No one ever challenges, well, did Caesar really exist or the Gallic Wars? Did it really, really happen? They never challenge any of that stuff. But they will challenge, oh, the Bible is just a book that was written by men. That's what you hear all the time. They challenge the Bible. How do I know Jesus existed? And I always say, well, do you believe in George Washington? They go, yeah. Have you ever seen him? No. Well, how do you believe him? Well, I read about him. Well, I read about Jesus too in the Bible. But see, that, oh, I don't, that's not different. No, it's not different. You're just believing in a book of history that was written. But look at this one. Uh, Caesar, the Gaelic Wars, Aristotle, all these people we know, you, Homer. But the, the, look at the books, the, the date written, here's a proof, the date written 800 B.C., the earliest known copy, 400 B.C. Now, they call it the gap theory. 400 years from the original story to the first known copy. And how many know that the longer the years of gap, the longer the, the possibility of error can happen in the accuracy of a book? And look at that, the time gap, 400 years. Look how many uh, copies of that, 645. It has the most of any other book of antiquity except, everyone look down to it, except the New Testament. Now look at the New Testament. It was written between 50 and 100 A.D. The earliest copy was 114 to 250 A.D. Look at the time gap. I mean, 50 to 100 years, very small time gap. And look how many known copies, 5,366 copies. There is such a... Uh, an avalanche of evidence for the New Testament and its reliability and, and, and believability versus any other book of antiquity. But none of these other books of antiquity ever get challenged or criticized. You know why? Because people, uh, it, I believe the enemy, and, and does not want people to believe and trust in the Bible. Because, listen, truth is powerful when you get a hold of it in your hands. It's just it's so important that we that we see that the definition of truth. So you're gonna have to make a decision, and I, I can I can say as, in in a, in a good way in this room right now. I know a lot of us we've been challenged and maybe even compromised the truth, or our minds have been challenged. My wife is a lot smarter than me. She graduated first in her class, a very analytical person. So she struggled with this more than I did. I just read it and believe it. But she had to read it, investigate it, and, and again, through school, probably some things were put in there that can be challenging and, and contradict what you, what the Bible says is true. But I'm asking you as a group of young people, man, I mean, be a pursuer of, of, of understanding what the truth is, or at least, at least hear the other side. We've only heard one side, hear the other side of it. You know, whether it's evolution or whatever it, whatever it might be. Because here's your questions that you're going to break out to, and I'll, I'll have Hal come up. What area of cultural truths has challenged God's truth in your life? You know what I'm talking about? We know what God's truth says, but there's a cultural truth that's trying to crowd in and get me to compromise or rationalize. What, what, what area would that be for you? 
in your life. Here's another one. What area of situational truth has tempted you to compromise God's truth in your life? What would that look like? We maybe you hold on to God's truth, but man, there's this situational thing that's happening and, and, and the culture's telling you, come on, what's the big, you know, you know what I'm talking about? So I want to pray for you. Then I'll have help come up. Father, I pray for, uh, uh, this group and Lord, I pray. God, that you would separate lies from truth. God, I pray that your truth will prevail. God, that your word doesn't return void. The word that's been sown in many of these young people from their family, from their dads or moms, and God, as they've grown, uh, they've come to their own place, of, and rightfully so, of making decisions. But God, some of the decisions they have believed or made has been based on only one side or one part. God, I pray uh, for our young people to have an open mind, open heart, to dig back in to the truth of your word. Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust its reliability? Is it inspired for God? Is it the blueprint for my life, for my relationships, my worldview, everything? God, can I trust it? And God, I pray that Satan and the lies of Satan are bound in their lives. And God, as we heard Jesus say, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. God, I pray for an explosion of God's truth in the heart and the minds of every one of these young people. God, that we would not exchange the truth of God for lies any longer. No matter how unpopular God's truth may be or God's principles may be, God, we won't cower or compromise or bow down. God, we'd be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when the king threatened to throw them in a fiery furnace. They said, we're not going to bow. We believe there's only one God and they were in a nation that believed in so many gods but they refuse to bow their knee. God, I pray, God, for a spirit of courage, an unwavering courage to rise up in these young people. God, they'd be willing to pay a price, whatever that price may be, God, because sometimes we have to pay a price for what we stand to believe in. God, I pray you stir their soul, create a hunger, God, that maybe they once had for truth and your truth. And God, we pull down every stronghold, every thought and lie of the enemy that's lied to them about who they are or what they believe or what their destiny is. God, we thank you. Lord, you said we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know who we are. You made us. You put our DNA in us. You breathe life into us. God, we know that truth and our identity is found in you, Jesus. So God, let us shake off every lie. Let us not be ashamed of the power of the gospel. Let us not be ashamed 
of the truth of God's word, no matter how unpopular it may be around others, God. Let us be that light that shines in darkness. Let us be the salt, Lord God, that, that flavors the world. God, as Josh has got ready to take over the promised land, you told him to be strong and courageous and don't be afraid, but just obey my word. God, I pray for strong and courageous young people that will be obedient, God, to your truth and your word. And God, we know when we do that, we're going to enter that, that promised land, Lord. Help them, Father, to find others that want to pursue truth. And God, I know that some even now need to break off some compromising relationships that are speaking lies. That there are people that are not building them up, but they're tearing them down. They're causing them to question their faith and their belief. God, I pray. Give them the courage to walk away from that and to find a community where people are pursuing your truth, Lord. I thank you for how, God. The gift you've given them to teach the word uncompromisingly. And God, that they hear the truth here every week. But God, let us not just be hearers of the word. People that come in and hear and walk out and we don't do the word of God. Help us to be doers of your word, God. Help us to trust your promises and to believe what you said is true. God, those who have had doubts, God, I pray you fill them with faith, fill them with hope. You're not condemning them. God, you want to bring them along, show them truth. God, I just pray to hear my heart. Because we're in a battle. And God, the only way we win is by knowing who we are and what we believe. And it all comes from you, Jesus. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Help us, God, to be all in. All in, Lord, on your truth. Regardless of the cost, in Jesus' name. Amen.